passage of scripture for uh, my prepared message is out of Acts chapter 4, starting with verse 32 through verses uh, 35. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 35. And this is out of the Common English Bible. The community of believers was one in heart and mind. None of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but they held everything in common. The apostles continued to bear witness, powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and an abundance of grace was at work among them all. And there were no needy persons among them. And those who owned properties or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds from the sales and place them in the care and under the authority of the apostles. And then it was distributed to anyone who was in need. So since the beginning of the pandemic, um, about six months ago, we've either coined some new terms, we've learned some new terms, or we've used a few over and over again. For example, flattening the curve, social physical distancing, uh, positivity rate. Uh, I've heard the word unprecedented probably uh, more than I've ever heard it before. And then this phrase, out of an abundance of caution. Now, we use those in well-meaning ways. But I want to suggest that we coin a new phrase. And this phrase would be out of an abundance of grace. Because it feels as if we need an abundance of grace at this point. Two things brought me to this place of thinking about an abundance of grace. First, our focus in the last couple weeks around life-giving narratives and which narratives will we choose to give a framework and shape to our lives. So to that end, we've looked at stories of folks in the scripture, the kingdom of God, a parable of generosity of God. If there's one common theme in all of this, it's grace. If there's a common theme to the kingdom of God, to the rule and reign of God, it is grace. It is God's intent for all of life and creation to flourish in and through grace. Now, grace is a a very difficult word to define. It's a, it's a difficult word to put into words. But grace is the theme. It is what frames and structures all that God offers for us in creation. In the beginning, in Genesis, it says God created and it was good. So there is goodness and grace to what God offers us. And this is, this is the story, the narrative that God gifts us with. So that's the first first piece that brought me into this message for today. The second is, I received an article from uh, my pastor friend, Josh Brown, from Springfield Friends Meeting that outlined what it called the phases of a disaster. Now, hang on with me just for a few moments. This is sort of a guide uh, for emergency managers to use to, re to guide their relief efforts. And in this phases of a disaster, the phases basically go like this. There is the pre-disaster phase. So, for example, back in January, February, we had heard that there may, could, could be a pandemic, there could be an outbreak of coronavirus. That's the pre-disaster. You know it's coming. There is the impact, the disaster hits. Well, back in March, in around that time, for better or for worse, the disaster hit. And so we're in the impact phase. Then there is a, what's called the heroic phase. Everyone pulls together to get through it. And I really sensed that. Everyone was, was doing their part. Everyone was coming together. Let's, let's work together. We're, we're in this together, seemed to be what everyone was saying, and still saying, but that's, that's that phase, the heroic phase. 
Then there is the honeymoon phase, everyone working together again. This will soon be over. This will, this will be past us. And we begin talking about three, four months later, what are we going to be doing then? How will we look back on it? But then they say that in these phases of a disaster, there is what's called the disillusionment phase. It's not ending quickly. The stress, the anxiety, the frustration, the anger, sometimes the blaming and the denial begins to build up. And then they call what there is a reconstruction or a rebuilding phase, which is what happens after all this. And you begin to shift to life in a new and different way because of what everyone has gone through. And there is some rebuilding. There is some reconstructing, uh, both emotionally, but both in physically, both in infrastructure and everything. And what this article simply outlined was that we are more than likely in this disillusionment phase where stress, anxiety, and for some even depression prevails as life seems to be continually disrupted and the future still seems a bit uncertain and we we thought we would be in a different place right now at least at this time but we don't feel like that yet we're we're disillusioned maybe by that that reality and we couple with that the fact that anxiety and stress leads to frustration and frustration is usually a surface way to express our anger we don't even know who or what to be angry at but sometimes we're just angry and so we get frustrate, frustrated, and our, our threshold is very low. And it just keeps coming at us and coming at us, at least seemingly. In fact, just uh, this morning, uh, Lynn and I got a text from uh, our daughter Erin. She and her husband Avery live uh, in Los Angeles in California. And she texted last night that they were woke up by an earthquake. And of course, you know, out there they've had the pandemic, uh, they've had fires, and now they've had this earthquake that woke them up last night. And in her text, she says, this year has been relentless. And you know, I thought that's a really good word. It is been and has been relentless. And it feels relentless for a lot of folks. This is why I say we need an abundance of grace. Which brings us to this early community of followers of Jesus in the book of Acts, or the early churches we often say. These were folks who had placed their faith in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and they now found themselves on the fringes of society. So there was this sense of joy and aliveness about them because of their trust in the living Christ. But they were also vulnerable to persecution, as well as being cast out as outsiders and a threat to the empire and a threat to all the other communities around them. So they were often in need in regards to fellowship, food, and even basic necessities. And you could imagine that maybe they were even feeling somewhat disillusioned as well. They had invested their life and their heart in this movement, and now they've been left almost um, alone and without anything. But the grace of God had so transformed these folks that there was this, what I call, deep sharing of life. The community of believers is described as being one in heart and mind, and that none of them would say, this is mine, about any of their possessions, but everything was held in common. There was no needy person among them. Folks within this community would literally sell their properties and their homes and bring the proceeds to the apostles and and the apostles would distribute to, to everyone as, as there was need, all these proceeds from everyone else's generosity and sacrifice. And then Acts 4.33, which I read earlier, says, The apostles continued to bear powerful witness. I love that phrase. Bear powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And an abundance of grace was at work among them. So when we enter into deep sharing of life, we faithfully bear witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and the living Christ. When we're willing to share our resources with one another, we are bearing powerful witness to the resurrection and life of Jesus Christ. 
when we're able to put aside our own personal interests for the good of the whole and the common good, we are bearing powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. When we are willing to look out for one another to make sure every, everyone has what they need and no one is in need, we are bearing powerful witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's one thing, it's one thing to believe in the resurrection of Jesus. It's a whole nother thing to bear witness to the resurrection of Jesus. And when we bear witness, our lives and our actions, they testify to the truth. In, words, in other words, our lives, uh, we let our lives speak to the truth that the resurrection of Jesus and the presence of the living Christ has completely changed and redefined how we show up and how we do life with one another. The Apostle Paul describes it best when he wrote uh, to the Philippians these words. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort and love, any sharing in the Spirit, any sympathy, complete my joy by thinking the same way, having the same love, being united and agreeing with each other. Don't do anything for selfish purposes, but with humility think of others as better than yourselves. Instead of each person watching out for their own good, watch out for what is better for others. This is what it looks like when an abundance of grace was at work among them all. This is what it looks like when there is an abundance of grace within a fellowship, within our world, within our community. And speaking of world, a few years ago I was introduced to the abundance mentality and the scarcity mentality, two very different ways of approaching life. And Parker Palmer, who's a very wise Quaker writer, tells this story about how he experienced the abundance mentality. Um, he writes that he was a passenger on a plane that had uh, suffered some of the fate that many of us all experience. Plane pulled away from the gate, taxied to a far corner of the airport, and it just stopped. And he said he could hear the engines wind down and his heart begin to sink. And so the pilot came over the intercom and said, I have some bad news and some really bad news. Bad news is there's a storm front in the West. Denver is socked in and shut down. We've looked at all the alternatives and there are none. So we're gonna be staying for a few hours. That's the bad news. The really bad news is that we have no food and it's lunchtime and everybody groaned, Parker Palmer writes. And some passengers started to complain and some became angry, but then Parker Palmer watched as one of the flight attendants did something remarkable. She stood up, she took the intercom and she said, folks, we're really sorry. We didn't plan it this way, and we really can't do much about it. I know for some of you this is a big deal. You're really hungry or you have a medical condition and you need some lunch. Some of you might not care one way or another, and some of you might need to skip lunch. So I'm going to pass around a couple of bread baskets, and I'm going to ask everybody to put something in the basket. Some of you brought snacks, something to tide you over. Some of you have a few lifesavers or chewing gum or Rolaids, and if you don't have anything edible, you have a picture of your children or spouse or girlfriend or boyfriend or a bookmark or a business card. Everybody put something in, and then we're going to reverse the process, and we'll pass the baskets around again, and everyone can take out what he or she needs. Now, what happened, Parker Palmer said, was amazing. The griping stopped. People started to root around in pockets and handbags, and some got up and opened their suitcases, stored in the overhead luggage racks, and got out boxes of candy, a salami, a bottle of wine. People were laughing, people were talking, and she had literally transformed a group of people who were focused on need and deprivation into this community of sharing on this airplane. And then Parker Palmer writes, a world of scarcity had become 
a world of abundance. Now, obviously, this is before COVID, and this was probably back in the day when they still served meals on airplanes. But the point is this. Everyone took what they had and offered it in, in generosity and shared with everyone that was on that plane. It went from this community of scarcity to this community of abundance, as Parker Palmer says. And when Parker Palmer was getting off the airplane after that flight, he stopped and asked the flight attendant, do you know there's a story in the Bible about what you did back there? It's about Jesus feeding a lot of people with very little food. Yes, she said, I know that story. That's why I did what I did. Now, I share this story to make this point, that living with an abundance mentality is very possible in our everyday living. Our experience may not be like Parker Palmer's where we're on a plane digging around to see if we have any gum or crackers to share, but we have ample opportunity in the present to practice the abundance mentality. The scarcity mentality is a narrative of life that says there's only enough for a few to grab, so grab it all, grab what you can, compete with everyone. It's a narrative that says you're looking out for one interest and one interest only, your interest or my interest, and, and everyone needs to fend for themselves. It's, it's a narrative that is win-lose. If you receive, I lose, and there's, there's nothing or there's no win-win about it. In an abundance mentality, it's a narrative of life that says there is enough for everyone, resources, affirmation, recognition, praise, and just because someone else receives doesn't mean that there is less for me. On the contrary, the more we share, the more we receive, and the more the abundance just multiplies. That's what the story of feeding the 5,000 in the scriptures is all about. The kingdom of God is all about multiplying what we have, what we, what we can give, and how God's abundance just multiplies when that happens. But this sense of abundance is not something we muster up through self-improvement or a positive self-talk. The abundance mentality is what flows through us and flows out of us and flows towards one another as you and I experience the abundant grace of God. And this is a narrative. It's a story worth living for and framing our lives by that God, in God's grace, has poured out grace and goodness into all of creation, into all of our lives, and we are invited to live from a place of abundant grace. Author Brennan Manning, the late Brennan Manning, wrote in his book, The Wisdom of Tenderness, these words, We're graced. And we're made beautiful by God's irreversible forgiveness, his endless patience, his tender love. We're healed and made whole by the gentle spirit dwelling within us. We're empowered to live lives of joy and wonder, captivated by the undeserved promise of the kingdom. Everything we have and are as humans and Christians derives from divine goodness and kindness. So if that is what abundant grace is for you and I, what does it look like to pass on the abundant grace in our world? Well, let me end with these possibilities. Abundant grace will look like generosity of spirit as we share with others out of our own resources, out of our time, and out of our presence. Abundant, abundance of grace will look like forgiveness and reconciliation and simple apologies. It, it'll be a willingness to mend relationships with one another in such a fractured time. Abundance of grace will look like hospitality, offering a welcoming space to one another, uh, for folks to simply be who they are as well as to receive their differences, to listen, to understand. 
Abundance of grace will look like encouragement as we reach beyond ourselves to strengthen the souls of one another through affirmation, through appreciation, through bringing courage to each other's hearts, which is really the intent of encourage, is we are bringing courage to one another. Abundance of grace will look like empathy as we willingly seek to see life from the other person's point of view, to walk in their shoes, as we often say, to understand that much more might be going on in their lives than what we're seeing on the surface. And that is so key to understand. What we see on the surface of people's lives is the 10% above the surface. There's probably 90% that's going on below the surface, like in that iceberg we can't see. Empathy understands that and tries to understand what is going on in people's lives. Abundance of grace will look like presence. Parker Palmer again writes, true abundance resides in the simple experience of people being present to one another and for one another. Abundance of grace will look like compassion for one another and our world as we live with open hearts and souls ready to receive the world's pain and brokenness and to give back grace rather than give back ungrace. An abundance of grace will look like patience. Patience with life as we know we're in a tough season and we faithfully follow God's lead. Patience with ourselves as we're often harder on ourselves than we are on others. And patience with process as we seek to discern how we as a meeting move forward. Patience with one another realizing that everyone is carrying a very heavy load at this time. As Aaron said, this has been a relentless year. And I would probably say out of all of these expressions of the abundance of grace, patience may be the most important one right now. To offer patience again for our own selves, to give ourselves patience, to not be perfect and always have it all together. To be patient with one another, because we're all carrying a heavy load, we're all tired, we're all exhausted at times, we're all fearful, sometimes we're all frustrated. To be patient with one another and hold space and gracious space for one another and to be patient with process. We're all trying to make the best decisions we can with the best light that we have, with the best information that we have, and as a meeting, as we move forward into uh, the future as to our next steps. Um, let's be patient with one another as we all seek God's guidance and God's wisdom. Colossians 3, 12 to 14 reads, Therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, put on compassion, kindness and humility, gentleness and patience. Be tolerant with each other. And if someone has a complaint against anyone, forgive each other. As the Lord forgave you, so also forgive each other. And over all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. That is an abundance of grace. I want to share one more story, and then we will listen to Carrie sing a beautiful song, Be Thou My Vision. There was a pastor in Washington, D.C. His name uh, was Gordon Cosby. He passed away a couple years ago. And Gordon had planted a very unique church or, or a number of churches in the D.C. area, very small churches that had very uh, generous fellowships, uh, very deep community with one another, and very strong outreach into the D.C. area. Uh, it actually uh, was a model for many churches uh, over the years, and this was back in the 60s and the 70s. And Gordon Cosby was asked one time, because uh, young pastors were always looking to him for guidance and for wisdom, and he was asked one time by a pastor, 
this question. If you could give advice to a young pastor, just one word of advice, what would it be? And Gordon Cosby thought about that. And he looked at this young pastor and he said, I would say this, remember this on every Sunday morning, everybody sits beside their own pool of tears. And what Gordon Cosby was saying is that every Sunday morning or every day for that matter, we carry often our own pain, our own brokenness, our own sadness, our own frustration about the relentlessness of life, about the exhaustion of life. We carry it with us. And often when we sit down, we sit beside our own pool of tears. And it's important to remember that because then we can say, let's live with an abundance of grace for everyone for ourselves, for those that we share life with, for those that we do life with, for those in our families, in our homes, for everyone. Let's offer an abundance of grace.